Hi everyone, my name is Haley and I am your host for Straight Talk with the Doc, the podcast that breaks down topics on addiction, mental health, and treatment with addiction medicine specialist, Dr. Bott. How are you doing, Haley? I'm great, thanks for asking. Today is our 30th episode of Straight Talk with the Doc. We've covered so many interesting topics from social media addiction to getting a full understanding of drugs like hallucinogens, cocaine, and fentanyl. And some of our listeners may have a personal experience with addiction, while others do not. But we all have experience with what we're going to be talking about today, and that is food. You need food to live, but it goes far beyond that. What we eat and how we eat plays a role not only in our nutrition, but in our mental health as well. And that's even more true for those in recovery. Abusing drugs or alcohol can seriously affect the user's relationship with nutrition, making it even more important when they begin their recovery journey. Dr. Bot is going to help me cover all of that today, but doctor, can you start by explaining how does food play a role in our mental health? Well, our food is basically, um, it's the building blocks. It's providing us with the fuel and the nutrition to help us grow and be healthy. Food also affects a lot of things in our body that regulate our hormones, um, that help us feel and function. Anything from serotonin to dopamine, things that make us feel pleasure or make us help us sleep and uh, affect our mood. Similarly, um, food helps to control and regulate bacteria and gut flora. So um, it really, it, it controls a lot about everything from our physical well-being and our psychological well-being. So what we put, what we are, what we eat, it really, uh, it, it definitely rings true. Okay. Um, I want to talk about, you know, like how we eat. I think growing up, we've all heard advice, you know, families should eat dinner together, you know, don't eat in front of TV. Do all those other like little pieces of advice, does that actually make a difference? Definitely. I mean, you know, I think we take food for granted. I think many people just think about, you know, what we eat or a meal is just something to um, get over with. There are people that do now take nutrition seriously, though, but I don't think it's a pervasive thing as much as it should be. You know, um, here in in America, we, we suffer with a lot of obesity. We suffer with a lot of people who have malnutrition. And uh, we definitely see our fair share of issues, especially with nutrition when it comes to those who suffer with addiction and substance use. So creating healthy habits as, it, as they are from when we grow up within our family um, definitely can help us put the focus on nutrition and not being distracted while we are in front of the television. Um, they not only can help us um, you know, concentrate on the quality of our food, so we know what we're eating. So we're ensuring we're getting the right balance of proteins and carbohydrates and proper fats. Um, but that also can serve as a time where we can socialize and have psychological well-being. I think we've lost that whole concept of sitting together as a family just because everybody's doing their own thing. And I think it's important, you know, for our, our, our emotional well-being that um, it's not only what we put in our body, but for our minds that, um, you know, we're having healthy dialogue. And eating together or eating um, while not being distracted with, you know, uh, some sort of uh, electronic device, um, I think it's super important and and really can help us, um, especially because we're a stressed out and uh, often isolated society. Uh, 
that, you know, using the dinner table as a place to connect again, uh, definitely um, can can contribute to our overall well-being. Okay. So it's important to kind of practice mindfulness with food, with what's going into your body. Definitely. I mean, um, we do see that, right? But where is this being taught to us? I mean, I, I, we do have nutrition classes in school, and uh, but what does that really mean? I mean, how, how many kids are really taking this seriously? So I, I go back to it, it being important at, at home. And so at home, I know we have busy lives, you know, moms and dads are working and, uh, you know, it's often just just getting it done. But um, yeah, food should have a purpose other than just, you know, um, putting something in our mouth. Uh, and definitely being mindful. I love what you just said. Being mindful of our food is super important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, like what you mentioned, even if a kid takes a nutrition class in school, you know, it really does matter what's going on at home because at the end of the day, you know, it's what their parents are teaching them that they're probably going to follow. You know, they're going to follow their parents' lead. Obesity. Let's just talk about that. It, it's such a big problem here in the United States of America and especially with access to fast foods. And when we are busy in our lives that, uh, you know, it's, it's easier just to grab something from, you know, a fast food restaurant, but you know, we all know the nutritional value of that and what that can do to our bodies and to our minds. You know, when we go into refined and processed foods and, uh, you know, steer clear of, of healthier products, you know, it does take its toll on, on our physical well-being. And when we physically are not doing well, we psychologically are not doing well either. So um, definitely bringing it back to basics and, you know, having that, you know, prototypical type of environment, although it's ideal and often difficult to um, achieve. I think we need to strive for that. Um, And I think uh, parents need to make an emphasis of this. And it's just good. I think being in the pandemic might have taught us how to reconnect again a little bit. I think uh, it forced people to be at home. Hopefully this was an opportunity to talk about and eat well and um, and sit down at the dinner table together. It's a time to connect. So um, yeah, there's a lot of learning that can go on while sitting at the dinner table. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm glad you, you mentioned uh, the obesity. I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Based on numbers from 2018, over 36% of American adults are obese and over 32% are overweight. You know, it's common knowledge now that eating processed and refined food without moderation, it's going to lead to weight gain and all the associated health problems. But many people feel unable to change their eating habits. Are people addicted to the food itself? Well, let's just be straight, you know, sugar and refined products and um, things that we can see that gets to our bodies very quickly, especially through fast food. Yes, they they deliver a, a, a robust um, sensation of feeling good. And, um, that happens a lot. And, and, you know, we talk about kids and sweets and, and candy and, um, yeah, when you get sugar that goes straight to your body, um, it, it does activate certain neurochemicals in your body and your brain. And it, it is, um, gratifying. So it stimulates pleasure and reward. So it creates this cycle but unfortunately, there's a lot of bad calories that are going into it. There's not a lot of good nutrients in, in many of these foods. So when you eat it on a constant basis and, and a habitual basis, you know, um, you're creating this cycle 
where you you feel this lack of gratification when you don't have it the need to compulsively search it out again and it can create that cycle uh, which you can call addiction uh, i don't want to say most people who are eating fast food and going through cycle of doing it are addicted to it but my point is um it can create a cycle of, of mal malnourished eating uh and a maladaptive eating and um it does have to do with the, the poor nutritional content, simple sugars, refined products that are there and processed foods that can contribute to this cycle. Okay. So how do you differentiate between the people that are kind of like addicted to these processed refined foods and then somebody who's suffering from, say, a binge eating disorder? Well, I mean, a binge eating disorder is it's an actual, um, you know, medical condition. It's It's classified under a eating disorder where there is a lot of um, calories consumed in a short amount of time and there's a lot of guilt that goes along with it. There's a lot of emotions that go along with it and, and it is serving a psychological purpose. Um, that's different from somebody who just has bad nutritional habits. So um, yeah, one is a clinical syndrome. It's a clinical issue. And it, it definitely has a, a, a relationship with how we feel, what we put in, and often has compensatory mechanisms behind it and emotional dysregulation. The other one just could be the result of I never learned what to eat correctly, or this is just a lifestyle that I've been exposed to, or this is like the food I've just been adapted to, to eat. But binge eating is distinct. It's eating a large quantity of calories in a very short amount of time, and, and it meets that specific criteria. Okay. On the topic of addiction, when someone has a severe drug or alcohol addiction, the drug becomes their priority. You know, it's often more important than their family, their job, and of course, their health. I want to talk about that. How does substance use affect appetite? Well, it's interesting because, you know, many different substances affect your appetite differently. Um, a lot of stimulants like cocaine or uh, methamphetamine, they are uh, an appetite suppressant. And we get so sped up and they affect the reward mechanism and, and, and dopamine and the pleasure receptor so quickly and, and reduce the hormones um, that uh, promote appetite at that time. So um, you will see people often not eat and, and become anorexic. And, and I don't mean anorexic by an eating disorder uh, diagnosis. I mean, anorexia meaning loss of appetite. And um, yeah, we, we do see that. I, you know, on the opposite, we often see people who use like cannabis, for example, um, after they've used it um, or are consuming it, we, we, we do see them often have an increased stimulation of appetite and then they'll go and eat, often seeking out foods um, you know, just and eat in large quantities. And that has to do with, um, again, cannabis uh, and tetrahydrocannabinoid, the active ingredient in cannabis and its ability to um, actually enhance smell and taste. So if things taste better, smell better after, um, you know, smoking marijuana, your body can, can get conditioned to maybe eating more after, after using. And not only that, now even while you're using to feel like you have the, the you know, the need to eat. So, um, you know, depending on the drug, you will see a lot of altered or dysregulated eating. Um, and I, I know I, I talked about 
cocaine and, and, and cannabis, but um, alcohol is a huge one. You know, often when people are drinking to the point where they're addicted and uh, they're, they're drinking, um, you know, drink after drink, they're not eating anything. So they're becoming significantly malnourished. They are losing significant vitamins and minerals. And um, this can cause devastating effects on uh, the body as a whole. So not only is the alcohol or the drug doing the damage, but then you're not eating. So you're getting like a double, double whammy. So um, you're being malnourished and you're getting the insult from the devastation that the drugs or alcohol are doing. So you definitely see a lot of, um, you know, harm done. So um, again, yeah, depending on the drug and, and uh, or alcohol, there's a lot of dysregulating eating. That okay. Besides losing or gaining weight, what other symptoms of malnourishment can present in people with a substance use disorder? Let's just talk about a big one, like alcohol. Alcohol um, causes a pretty significant syndrome um, called, um, you know, Korsakoff's syndrome and Wernicke's encephalopathy. These are basically deficiencies of thiamine. And we see that often in the clinical population. And um, these people can be confused. These people can be delirious. These people have significant memory loss. Um, these people have issues with their eyes. I mean, these people have a lot of, of uh, cardiac, uh, neurological, and physical problems. And this is uh, significantly related to um, you know, alcohol consumption. And, and I'm, of course, I'm talking about, you know, this is like an end, end or a later aspect of people who consume um, heavy amounts for long periods of time. But, but that is one that we do see a lot in the clinical population. And it's not just about not eating thiamine. It's also because alcohol alters our, the, the lining of the stomach and the, the intestines where, you know, certain nutrients are absorbed. So we, we don't just see thiamine. I mean, it, there's a global nutritional decompensation when we're drinking. Um, and similarly with, uh, with other drugs, um, I mean, we see a lot of constitutional signs and symptoms, meaning the body as a whole starts, if you're not eating a well-rounded diet, a lot of times, for example, when we see people who use heroin and opiates, I mean, they're shooting, they're injecting, um, they're snorting, and they're pursuing that plan. They're, they're nodding out, falling out, passing out. There's no time and no place for food. And these people then often when they go to eat, they're eating, you know, carbohydrates or sweets or drinking. So then they're, they're after the fact, they're, they're filling themselves with poor, empty calories or uh, calories that don't provide a significant sustenance or um, long-term nutritional value. So there are relationships that we do see, like I said, with alcohol, with, with heroin. Again, with cocaine, we see a lot of people after using cocaine, eating a meal at night, and it might be high in fats or high in carbohydrates. And again, this is not a balanced meal. So drug addiction, the reward is seeking the pleasure from using the drug, the motivational hierarchy, the, the, the things that are basic to our survival, food, shelter, uh, relationships, they're thrown out the window. We're pursuing the drug and that's our mainstay. Food is often neglected considerably. And that's why we see so many people with substance use disorders with uh, devastating conditions and often devastating nutritional, um, you know, nutritional situations with their body.
Okay, what about something like meth mouth? Um, how would that affect nutrition? Oh, wow, yeah. With, with methamphetamines, you know, we see a lot of people um, when they're using it, they get a lot of um, alterations with their, their, with their saliva. Saliva, we need saliva in order to process our food, to digest, to do a lot of things, to eat, and also maintain proper oral hygiene. People who use methamphetamines, I mean, I'm glad you brought this question up because it's almost indirect. And at the same time, not only does methamphetamines alter your, your, your appetite and the way we eat and then the, the hormones behind how we eat and if we feel full or not, but that whole dysregulation with our mouth, it can cause a lot of poor dentition. We get a lot of cavities. We get a lot of oral decay and people lose teeth. I mean, many people who who are listening or who know people who have used methamphetamines, they know that their, their mouth is bad, but that with that bad mouth, um, it's difficult to eat. So theirs is almost like indirect too, that there's that, um, I can't eat because I don't want to eat. My appetite is low, but then now I, when I want to eat my, my, my mouth hurts, I don't have proper tools, the mechanical tools to actually chew my food properly. So there's an irony there, you know, that there's a, it's, it's multifactorial that we see, uh, you know, that meth mouth is uh, unable to chew and eat properly and is often in pain. Okay. So yeah, you really have to treat, you know, the whole, you have to get the dental work done as well, you know, after recovery to kind of get them back, you know, to be able to just eat normally. Um, yeah, I want to talk about nutrition plans in recovery. For those who don't know, can you kind of explain like the typical types of nutrition plans that are put together for people while they're in treatment? What we see often is that, you know, when, when we're using drugs or alcohol, like I said, what's our reward? What's our motivation? It's drugs. We're not thinking about, are we eating correctly? I mean, there are many people who are using, you know, other illicit substances, uh, abusing testosterone or other things. They might be vain and physically fit in one superficial way and they might worry about um, what they're eating in terms of carbs or proteins and stuff like that but that's usually an exception most people who are significantly addicted to the major classes of drugs are not really worried about um, or not taking care of themselves from a from a food consumption perspective so we we you'll often see nutrition nutritionists on board as part of a team when we talk about, especially in inpatient rehabilitation, uh, we should have people bring a nutritionist uh, or at least have nutritional assessments done by the practitioner, the physician um, that talks about proper eating habits, because it's like your body has to get reacclimated with food again. So there's not only a physical relationship that needs to be assessed, you know, what's your nutritional content? We have to get proper, you know, CB, like blood counts and check your electrolytes and ensure that your, you know, vitamin and mineral levels are, are, are appropriate. Um, but at the same time, you know, we often have to teach people how to eat properly and healthy again. So a balance, when we talk about macronutrients and we talk about, you know, the, the big three food classes of fats, carbohydrates, and proteins, many people are going to go back to simple sweets and sugars and carbohydrates initially in their plan. We see that. So when people in early recovery, they're pursuing sweets, they're pursuing carbs. And, you know, that often lasts up through six months. So the education goes into, you know, letting them know what they need to do, creating balanced diets for them, showing them even how to cook, 
and showing them even how to um, prepare healthy meals. And, and it, it can go as so far as that. So um, one thing is getting a baseline assessment. Another thing is educating them about eating healthy, recognizing that, you know, uh, that difficulty that they're going to have or they might be having in early recovery, but pursuing just often, like I said, carbohydrates and simple sugars. That's often where our mind and our brain and our body goes in those cravings and urges to, to kind of, you know, replace the, the substances that are no longer there. And then teach them how to eat balanced, healthy meals. Many people often will have underlying co-occurring medical conditions like diabetes, hypertension. So then the diet has to be even evolved further to ensure that proper salt content, proper fat content, um, you know, sugars are, or carbohydrates are counted properly in those people that have diabetes. So it's, it's, it's a pretty complex thing, but you start kind of from general nutrition to more specific tailored needs. Um, you know, during the course of recovery, but it often takes many periods of months uh, into years to get mastery of this. And and there are many people who don't have substance use problems who don't know how to eat correctly. So it becomes a little bit more complex when we're talking about people that do have an issue um, with substances. Mm -hmm. So how do you try to help people? You know, how do you ensure that people continue receiving proper nutrition after they leave treatment? Well, it goes back to that prior, previous question. You know, you're, you're build, you got to build people up. You know, we cannot expect somebody who's been used to, you know, shooting heroin and, and snorting cocaine to just go into eating healthy. And so it goes back to, again, getting proper baseline nutritional analysis by doing blood work, doing body composition, but understanding that there is going to be a period there where they're not going to be well. And, um, you know, training them on basic fundamental principles of just even eating three meals a day or whatever meal um, frequency that they need to meet their nutritional or caloric intake, uh, again, based on underlying general medical conditions. So you have to train them on basic and educate them on basic fundamentals first, because just think about it. Some people are just used to eating that one meal at night. If I'm on a run or I've been, you know, it's not just the fact that the drugs have made me lose my appetite, but then there's a psychological conditioning of when I eat, when I'm eating or how I'm eating. So there's not just a physical component. There's that psychological component there. So um, yeah, fundamentals, training, teaching and educating on, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What are the main, you know, you know, macronutrients that you need to have eating a balanced meal, caloric intake, being of a certain value that's uh, proper for them. And if they have gained weight or lost weight where they need to go and, um, you know, having them, you know, practice this um, again, not to go back to talking about people who are in inpatient or other types of treatment, but if you're in a proper structured uh, rehabilitation program, this should be part of the components that should be provided by, by the treatment team that they go along and, and if you're in treatment for a matter of months, well, at least you can get that practice going. And um, if you're in supportive housing, uh, hopefully you can get connected with a nutritionist that can help you practice and do these things. And um, oftentimes you'll see people in recovery are helping one another out. There's often people that do try and shift gears now um, into, hey, I want to undo all the bad things that I've done in my body. And they often compensate by doing healthier 
maybe compulsive behaviors. But if you had to pick which one to do, I I'd prefer or they would hopefully prefer to actually uh, be focused and compulsive on um, eating well. So, you know, you can often hook them up with people that, um, you know, are practicing uh, proper nutritional habits and, and, and have them hopefully take that on for the rest of their life. Okay, so it's, you know, it's really just about that education, giving them that education. Education, practice, like, like I said, you don't have to just tell them that. You know, a lot of people, when they go into other levels of care, they're now living in structured homes and they're getting to cook on their own. They're learning to, um, you know, prepare meals and they're often doing it together. And if they do it together with people who can be introduced into that group, who know how to eat healthy, that can often be that practice that they need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I mean, if you grew up and were never taught about nutrition, you know, it can seem a little bit overwhelming. And if you've been addicted to something which it has been your nutrition, your insight into it has been totally thrown out of whack. So um, yeah, your brain's been hijacked. You're not looking at food as, as, as a nutritional thing. You're looking at food as some other replacement for some other emotional or physical deficiency. And uh, we want to retrain the relationship between food and, and your body and, and your mind. Um, and that takes time. It takes a lot of time. Absolutely. You know, and there's so much information out there. For somebody that doesn't have all the resources that treatment provides, where can they go to learn about nutrition? Because if you just look it up on the internet there, like I said, there is just so much information and a lot of it contradicts itself. You know, I don't mean to put the burden back on primary care, but um, that's why we call them primary care. They're here to deal with your primary situation. And, and, and you know, people who do go to um, get wellness checks and, and often people who are now first, um, you know, entering early recovery, um, they're starting to take care of themselves for the first time in their lives. Um, and that means going to doctors and going to take care of their physical well-being. And that, that those are opportunities to talk to them about, hey, how am I doing? Because a lot of times in our examinations, by our, the way we look physically, our, our physical examinations, um, the way our heart sounds, the way our blood levels are, we can tell, believe it or not, what our nutritional uh, construct is like. But also our doctors should be prepared to give us advice on how to eat healthy too. And, you know, we have doctors managing our cholesterol and managing our blood sugars. They should be able to provide you basic education. And I bring this up because I can't say, should a person go out and just go get a private? That's not, that's not realistic. And like you mentioned, going on the internet, I mean, I don't know how to vet everything that's available on the World Wide Web. But hopefully as a standard, you know, um, your 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 uh, your doctor can guide you, but then there's also support groups. And if you start to refine and get involved with people who are there, um, whose focus might be on on nutrition, without me advocating there, you can find legitimate people and legitimate support groups that are there to help work and support one another about eating um, healthy. And so those are some resources I, I would suggest people look at. Um, which they can find online. Okay, perfect. Dr. Bot, is there anything else on this topic that you think people should know? Well, definitely. I think, um, you know, we, we, we have to realize that uh, eating healthy is, is not just a one-day thing. It's a lifelong process. And, um, again, it has to start early. 
um, as it relates to those who suffer from substance use disorders, I mean, it's definitely um, not high uh, on their priority, but when they are seeking recovery, they do need to get that support. And if they're not getting that support, you know, as individuals, those who suffer need to ask for that help. If they're in a treatment center, if they're in um, a facility, if they're entering in any, um, you know, organized, um, you know, therapeutic environment, they need to reach out to whoever's providing them the treatment and ask to get their, you know, nutritional and health assessed um, because it's super important. And um, I hope to see that more and more um, centers or, or facilities or organizations that do provide treatment for substance use um, disordered individuals um, do understand that it's a comprehensive approach at, at healing and wellness. So it's, it's a mind and body and spirituality. It's all involved together. And uh, definitely uh, what we put in our bodies uh, needs to be in, included in, in that biopsychosocial um, approach and how we treat individuals. So not only the therapeutic environment, but people have to look out for themselves and ask for that guidance. Great. Thank you for explaining, Dr. Bott. And thank you to our listeners who have tuned into our 30th episode. I've learned a lot while working on this podcast, and I hope our listeners have as well. We have episodes available on addictioncenter.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, so it's available free wherever you listen. We'll see you next time for another episode of Straight Talk with the Doc.